When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Get right to the romance and find the way to wow this Valentine's with 1-800-Flowers.com. From classic roses and bouquets to decadent chocolate-covered berries, gourmet treats, and more. Surprise your Valentine with 1-800-Flowers.com. Right now, get the 18-stem Enchanted Rose Medley for $39.99 or upgrade to 24 red roses for $10 more. Go to 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. Mirror man, mirror man, you twist and turn my mind until I don't know who I am. Mirror man. Good morning and um, welcome to another edition of the Arsenal Opinion Podcast. Uh, I'm mixing up with the combos today. I've, uh, I've got Matt. Hi, Pete. I've got Janan. How you doing, mate? I, I'm doing great and it's, um, it's just a shame that we have to meet under such unfortunate circumstances today. Another loss in the Premier League. Um, I'd, I'd love to get you, uh, Janen, tell me top nine thoughts about how you're feeling about um, the Arsenal project right now. Uh, top line would be the manager has to go, but he definitely, definitely will not. There's no one at the club who will um, let him go. And even if they did, none of them are particularly good at their jobs either, whether it's Vinay or Edu. And so we're in the worst of all worlds where we kind of know what has to happen and there's a near zero chance of it taking place. Matt? Um, look, I, I, I half agree uh, in that I don't think Arteta should go, um, but it really doesn't matter who came in. We are such a mess uh, that it's difficult to see anyone succeeding in that role right now. So I think all we can do is stick with him, try and get him some support, try and make a plan. Um, but it's a shambles from, from, t- from top to bottom. Yeah, I got to say, like my um, my initial reaction. I, I hate people that like lose their minds uh, at a starting eleven. But my initial reaction when he rolled out that starting eleven against Burnley was, you you are believing your own hype that about the FA Cup. 
you've got like this sort of Arsene Wenger-like um, arrogance, but without the invincible season or the trophies. And he absolutely got what he deserved. And I think I think Janam messaged me during the game. He was, you know, like he should go. You know, any other coach would go. About fifteen people messaged me the same thing. Like under any uh, any normal club, this sort of dive in form would be hit with a massive response because it's not. It hasn't even come with a lack of investment, right? Sixty million pounds worth of talent that he's okayed not performing. So um, I wanted to. I, 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 going into a match review when everybody else has kind of done their bit is uh, is usually a bit boring, but I do think that there were some things that we should talk about, and I, like I want to get uh, like under the skin, like the Burnley game. Um, when you watch it back, it wasn't great, but eighteen attempts, six on target, it wasn't the absolute worst. Why do you think the reaction has been so aggressive towards this, Jana? Uh, well, I agree with you. I don't think it was a terrible performance. And that first 10 minutes in the second half might have been the best we've played in the league since the very beginning of the season. I think the reason people have uh, lost their minds is that it's the accumulation of results. So I think it's not since the 1950s that we lost four in a row at home. And Southampton, which will be a tough game, if we lose that, would be unique in our history, uh, five in a row. So I just think it's the, the build-up of results and the build-up of performances rather than the individual um, game against Burnley. Um, in, in many ways, the manager has, has got a bit of luck in that because of the Xhaka incident, there's, there's another focal point for all the anger and the blame. And, and that's the, our, our former captain, um, who I'm surprised made it back from the incident this time last year against Palace or wherever it was. But because Xhaka did what he did over the weekend... I think the manager perversely has a little bit of leeway uh, that he would not have done had it been a straightforward defeat with no red card. Um, so that probably buys him a, a, a bit more time. But I can understand why people are angry and it's just this uniquely bad set of results um, that you have to go back into your kind of parents' lifespans to, to find a parallel for. <laughs> Matt, you were actually disgusted before the kickoff. You sent me a, a, a stream of um, of consciousness about your thoughts on the lineup. You are one of the fans that was furious before and after the game. Like, tell me why you were so angry. Well, I think um, one of the things that really summed up, you know, the last period of the Wenger era and all of the Emery era was that it was like we'd seen this story a million times before. You know, you could you could not watch the game and you knew what would happen. Um, and the thing that Arteta brought when he first came in was that suddenly those old stories that have been around the club just began to shift a little bit. You know, we can't beat top teams away from home or we can't compete against the top six teams or uh, we can't pass out the back or we don't press or these sort of narratives that had just come to pass around Arsenal. Um, and, and, and for a moment, it just felt like we had a coach who was changing Arsenal um, and he was managing to get us to be able to do all these things that we hadn't done for so many years. And what's so depressing is that essentially since we beat Fulham on the opening day, that we had the Liverpool game, we had the Fulham game, 
all that progress that we were seeing, and it wasn't perfect and it wasn't linear, has just stopped. Like the progress stopped. You know, you were beginning to see patterns of play. You were always seeing a, a proper press. You were seeing a load more effort. You were seeing different tactics. You know, make the gnarls tucking into the middle of the pitch. And suddenly all of that's disappeared. And it just feels feels like the, the sort of Wenger Emery year where it's just, I'll just go out and, and play and, you know, do whatever and it'll be fine. And just that reverting to the same old stories about Arsenal has just filled me with with depression, really. And it's I, I don't understand how how all the progress just just came to such a shuddering halt. Yeah, it, it it's um Everyone's like, "What?" Arteta has never done anything for Arsenal. I, I, I do think that the first six months there were some interesting things that started to develop. You know, we were more competitive. You know, he sorted out the structure, the off the ball movement. Do you, um, Jenna? Do you do you think that there, there has been one pivotal moment that has changed how Arsenal have, uh, approach games? Is there one? Is there could there be like one thing because? this feels exactly the same as it did during the dying days of Emery. And I'm struggling to work out what's that one thing that tipped players over the line. We've seen two cases of violent conduct within three weeks. Like it feels like the sort of bad behavior that happens when something isn't quite right. Do you, do you believe in that? Or do you think it's an accumulation? Uh, Well, there are two potential uh, turning points. One was the day he was elevated to manager rather than just head coach. Um, and there's been a general decline in results post, post that day. Um, so basically, he wins the FA Cup. We're clearly making progress uh, as a team, um, not just in terms of winning, but there's a coherent style of play. We're defensively solid. He is rewarded with the management job. And almost since then, maybe a little bit after that, uh, there's, there's been this tailing off of both performances and results. The other turning point, I think, was when he gave up on the defensive formation and style that got us up to that FA Cup uh, result in the first place. And that was that sort of five at the back or three at the back, whatever you want to call it. The emphasis being on defence, soaking up pressure, hitting them with these really complicated counter-attacks that resulted in goals. And because it wasn't a particularly pleasing thing to watch and it wasn't easy on the eye and it betrayed what we thought of as Arsenal values, um, which I always thought was nonsense, (laughs) <laughs> I think he buckled yeah. a little bit in the autumn and he, he, he kind of diluted what was a successful um, results achieving type of formation in favour of something a bit more expansive. And that is basically when we started conceding a few more goals and the underlying numbers defensively deteriorated. And I always said, I wouldn't care at all if we became a complete shit housing early 90s Arsenal team that won every game 1-0. As long as, it, as, long as we won, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind about the, the fashion in which we did it. And something about the pressure on him to change told around September, October, and he became a little bit more expansive. And it's not just that it made us more open. It also conveyed that he didn't really believe in his initial philosophy. And that's really what screwed Emery. If you remember, it was Emery's chopping and changing in the sense that he wasn't attached to any one football vision that did for him in the end. And Arteta made the mistake this autumn of changing his basic philosophy for the, for the team. So those are the two turning points I can identify. Don't make him manager on the back of six months of decent performance and don't abandon your footballing format or formation um, just because of a bit of pressure, which wasn't particularly intense 
anyway. Um, and the question now is, can you, can you row back and undo those things? If you lose a bit of credibility by changing your mind, can you undo that? And can the club demote him from manager back to head coach? I think both of those things are incredibly difficult uh, and, and, and unlikely. If the club demotes him, Vinay looks like an idiot. And if Arteta changes again, he looks like he can't make up his mind about what he wants from a football team. So um, I think identifying the problems is, is, is one thing, but somehow unrolling them is politically very difficult. Do you think, um, I, I, I think that's such a, a, such a, a two really interesting problem because I completely agree that promoting somebody after six months because of uh, a couple of good performances um, was crazy. But the, the, the interesting thing that I'm trying to work out is um, when Arteta came in, it felt like, um, you know, he cleaned the slate with everybody and um, he was um, a meritocracy guy. You know, we saw Reese Nelson playing, I think it was against Liverpool, and he, you know, he scored. And when he became manager and he was given the opportunity to give people new deals, it kind of put a pressure on him that wasn't there before. Like it didn't matter if he dropped Meza Ozil because he had nothing invested in him. Um, but then when he started giving out deals to David, you know, David Luiz, um, William, now he's invested in players and they're technically his his favourites. He can't he can't quit them. He doesn't have um, uh, he doesn't have the ability to to look at people from a, a meritocracy perspective. He's look he's picking players based on tenure and whether he has invested in them. Granite yeah. should have sold him in January. Do you think that that might be part of the, yeah. the issue? And, and when you say invested in, I mean literally invested in the sense that I think the reason Aubameyang and Willian play as much as they do is ultimately financial, which is you know, they are the, what, the second and third best paid, best paid players at the club. The best paid player is a complete non-factor because we've excluded him. You cannot not play second, third best players, because then you look like you're just throwing money away, willfully. So I think if, if Aubameyang were on 90 grand a week and Willian were on something similar, I don't think they'd be playing. I think they'd, they'd have been dropped a while ago. But it's just, it, it, again, I hate to use the word, but politically it looks awful if all of your best paid players aren't playing. And so there's just a weird moral pressure to force them into the first 11. I'm sure if, it, if they were on lower wages, we wouldn't be, we wouldn't be in this situation. Matt, what do, you, what do you think about the meritocracy? Is it dead under Arteta, now he's manager? Seems to be. Um, I mean, I definitely think, I think it's death. The issues that we're facing, are, it's, it's like death by a thousand cuts. I think it's, it's, it's a lot of different things all culminating in, in where we've got to. I think it's, <laughs> I don't think you can underestimate what a hard fixture list we've had. Um, and that might sound like an excuse, but, you know, we've played, pretty much every top team apart from Chelsea away from home uh, that doesn't help. Uh, we've played a lot of good teams at home. Um, you know, uh, I think we've been unlucky in a few games and I think the pressure's told because the statistics have been so bad. Um, but I think the real problem clearly is relationships uh, behind the scenes, his ability to manage certain big name players and whether it's because he's manager or head coach or whatever, but I think David Luiz is a major issue. Um, I just get that get that feeling. And there was a game a few games ago where he was dropped and then he came back in and he, he was okay. But I think he's 
there's rumblings of discontent there. And then I think you can't underestimate Socrates and Ozil turning up for training every day. I mean, what the fuck is going on? I mean, we knew that if you weren't going to play Ozil, we should have just paid off his contract because the damage that's being done by him rolling up, smirking, um, when you're trying to create a spirit of collectivity, there is no doubt that having him around the place is stinking the joint out and having a negative effect. And sometimes we give these people, these players, too much credit um, because, you know, even our experienced players are what? <laughs> 29, 30 years old. They're still kids in many ways. And, you know, when Meza Ozil and people like that are whispering in your ear and being stupid and being unfocused, because how could you expect them to be focused given his situation? I feel like we have a, a really unstable sort of toxic working environment that's not all pulling in the, in the same direction. Um, and I'm sure Arteta will be one of the narratives of the excuses that will be used will be next summer will be different because we'll have all these players out of contract. Um, but, you know, we should have cut them loose because, you know, Ozil's, the damage he's done already, you know, you saw those tweets on during the game, need help, ha ha ha. I mean, yeah, it's a disgrace, uh, and 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 all of our own making. So, um, Jen, and question question for you based on um, the politics of this, because it's where your expertise um, focuses. He's got um, he asked the board for money that they didn't have to invest in players that weren't good enough, and those players have us in fifteenth position. The true solution to pivoting out of this is to play players that give a shit to a certain degree, but players that give a shit are generally young and not good enough. Um, he's got five games that are super important. The kids aren't going to probably not going to give you five wins, but nor are the senior players. Like how, like what, what's the, what do you think that the, the sort of damage limitations are here of dropping seniors. Like how, how do you go into this um, with players out of form, players that don't care and players that aren't good enough? <laughs> well, th- th- this is where I've got a bit of sympathy for him because there is absolutely overwhelming pressure on him to blood the youngsters and uh, really fill the team with them almost in the way Freddie did in the last game where he dropped anyone who was senior and played about <laughs> nine kids. I can't remember what game it was. Yeah. And you can understand why this would be attractive to the fans. It looks like, you, you know, we'd have a vision at last, something that might come to fruition in three years' time or five years' time. But ultimately, we tend to overrate our academy products. All fans of all football clubs think that anyone who makes it out of their academy is destined to be a first-teamer in the long term. And I, I, I don't personally see it in this. I think they're very, very good. But I think a, a, a tiny number will end up being viable first-team footballers at Arsenal, if we're a Champions League contending team. And a friend of mine I was talking to the other day, you know, is kind of 10 15, year, 10, 15 years older than us. And he was comparing what Arteta's trying to do to what George Graham did in 86. So Graham takes over a, a kind of top-heavy, expensive squad in uh, 1986, gets rid of and alienates a bunch of senior players on big wages like Charlie Nicholas, etc., and replaces them with young players. And it, and it delivers. But the difference is that in 1986, we had possibly the best generation of young players 
in the history of this club. We had Merson, Adams, Thomas and Russell at the same time. And Paul Davis had come through a couple of years earlier. So you had kind of half a team, half of an outfield 11, uh, uh, 10 um, for free, you know, coming through your, what was not at that time Gordon Academy. He doesn't have that now, Arteta. You know, Saka is probably the best of the bunch and he's had a relatively quiet season. I think one goal and maybe one assist or something. And the rest, I think, are maybe a step down from that. And the, the mystery is Emile Smith-Rowe. We don't know whether he's top class or whether we've overstated his, his level. But we do not have a 1980s generation of young players. I don't think we have a Man United 1990s generation of young players. We don't have a Chelsea so, No, I don't, I, I, possibly, Yeah, possibly not even a Mason Mount type of uh, yeah. calibre there. So if Arteta is to drop his senior players, he cannot be confident that we're going to have uh, a radically superior level of performance with a bunch of kids. And that's why he's in a really, really tough bind. And I don't, of my list of grievances with Arteta, literally the last one is that he's not playing enough kids because I think he sees them much more than we do. And he's concluded that they're, if, if they're ever going to be top class, they're a long way from that right now. Matt, who would, um, what would your, because we spoke about this before the pod, like it, it, it's a conundrum. Reese Nelson had a great start when he was at Hoffenheim, but he wasn't getting regular games by the end of his loan period. Um, we're in a situation where even expensive players that we've bought are being sent back on loan. Lucas Torreira not hitting the mark. Um, and he was getting ahead of some of these youngsters. Like, what, what would your, not quick fix, because I don't think there is a quick fix in getting out of this situation right now, but what do you do immediately to, um, to stop the rot in this 11 against one of the form sides of the season um, in Southampton? Um, well, I hadn't thought about it until Janet mentioned it earlier, but I think a, a formation switch could be, a, could be a smart move on Wednesday and going back to a back five. Just to remind ourselves of getting back to, you know, whenever you're in trouble, get back to basics. Uh, so I think, I think that would actually be a really smart move. Um, and, you know, it would, it would just create a sense of, a sense of change, you know, um, because obviously without party, the four, three, three doesn't really work. So, you know, that, that, that shift w- would be smart. And uh, we're obviously without Xhaka. And for me, Maitland-Niles is outstanding every time he's played for the last six months. And I don't understand why he doesn't get more games. And I think the fans like him and I think he has athleticism. So I'd add, I'd add him into the team. Um, and then, you know, I personally would like Nelson ahead of Willian. Um, I don't think Nelson is as good a footballer as Willian, or, or, you know, but, but I think he won't stop running for 90 minutes. And um, I think we just need to need to sort of see that change. So I think that would be a way of, um, of, of demonstrating some progress. We don't have a huge amount of options despite all these players. I mean, I don't really want to see Pepe near the, near the, near the starting lineup, you know, uh, uh, Eddie could be an option instead of Lacazette. And then he could get, still keep Willian. Cause I don't think he's going to want to change too much, but I think it's just a willingness to, um, to, 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 to change a little bit, but obviously we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater and put a load of, young players in because otherwise we'll damage their, their, their careers. I mean, so much of a young player's success is down to how they're blooded into the team in the first place. And we don't want to drop them into a, 
terrible situation, which is um, essentially what we're doing. Yeah. Um, I, I, I like, um, I like the, the back to basics thing, like in, you know, in advertising, get back to basics. If you're in a creative agency, good insight, good ideas, good production, right? That's just how you do it. And you work your way up through that process. Like Jana, and you said that um, playing the young players is bottom of your list. Like if you had a, a, a back to basics list, like what would your priorities be in unfucking the mess that we're in at the moment? Um, on, on the pitch, it would be uh, the defensive um bias i would have a very strong defensive bias uh if i were arteta because when we did we we may not have been sensational but we were halfway decent in the league finished eighth um and won a trophy and the began the season relatively well so I would, the on the pitch change if, if if we're going back to basics would be going back to defensive basics and if that means uh five at the back two screening midfielders um, pretty, you know, almost a defensive forward line who just spend all their time pressing. I could kind of live with that, at least until we stabilise the results and break out of the, the sequence of defeats. But back to, back to basics off the pitch would have to be some re-evaluation of the, of the, the top three leadership positions. You've got, you know, a, a, a CEO who just is not, I mean, he, I'm sure he'd be a great tax partner at KPMG, but he's, he's not the, Vinay is not the, he's not, he's not the face and voice yeah. of a major European football club. Edu yeah. um, has a decent CV, but it's not in European club football. And Arteta is too young to be a manager. I mean, I, I thought it's too young to be a head coach, but manager is just, just too big at this stage. So I don't think there's any going back to basics until you have a, a rational leadership structure at the top of the club. And that, that, that then gets you into the, the, the much thornier question of whether the Cronkies actually know what that looks like and whether they'd know who to appoint. But I don't see any, any major progress taking place until we sort of just simplify our leadership, um, the, the, the executive positions, and do the very obvious simple things. You know, a CEO with some experience, a football director who has worked in, Euro, in a European club before, um, and, a, and, a, and a head head coach who is just a head coach and who is unambiguously below the football director, not vying for kind of parity. Um, so I, I think that that would be how to do it. But the, the on the pitch change is always going to be easier because it's just Arteta's call. Whereas the the, the restructuring of the the club at leadership level is is up to the Cronkies and up to Vinay and Turkeys don't vote for Christmas. Yeah, that's the that's the difficult thing. It seems the the one of the most valuable positions I feel that you that, that you have at a football club can be a, a sporting or a football director. And um, the lack of football in knowledge that we have, we've got a, a first-time CEO, a first-time European technical director um, of, of, questionable, of questionable abilities because they put Arteta on the same level as him and a, a rookie manager doesn't really know what he's doing. Um, I, I wonder whether um, it, it is a thorny issue to uh, to demote somebody, but I wonder if you put somebody that had such an unbelievable CV in front of Arteta, whether it matters. Keep it like keep it do for a season and say you can do you can fulfill. Apparently, he's a good negotiator, like because he negotiated a release fee <laughs> for Thomas Partey. Sure, let's just pretend that he's a great negotiator. Um, Ralph Ranić is out of a job. 
the, the cost of Ralph Rangnick is four and a half million euros a year, which is a pittance in the grand scheme of things. But he's in his 60s. He's built. He didn't he didn't just work well at a football club. He built a franchise across the world um, uh, with feeder clubs that feed each other. It's highly profitable. You know, he moved Leipzig up four divisions. And I know that he'd probably want to take over the the whole thing because Arsenal really is a mess. But you're like, if there was a if, if there was a better solution on paper than finding the most efficient German in in, in world football who works really well with young managers that understands uh, players and talent between the ages of 17 and 22. Like why, why wouldn't you put a bid in for him paying 6 million and just say, Hey, like we don't want you to rip it all apart, but we've got some good things in here. We think we've got a great young coach. Um, can you help nurture him? I like, I, I, I pen this in tomorrow's blog after Nagelsmann made the semi-final of the champions league and lost, he said he would love a different profile of player to help move Leipzig to the next level. And he says something like, but the boss says no. Yeah. When, when Arteta lobbied for William, Vin I sort of said, fuck off. You come back yeah. with a young player or, or get out of my office. When after the season David Luiz had, after the game he had at City, there should have been no contract for him, but he gave him a contract. Arteta is doing like fanboy things. And, and you can't blame him, right? He wants to get yeah. to the top as quick as possible. What he needs is somebody to say, look, Mikel, we didn't hire you to win the Champions League, really. We hired you because we're in a shit state and you're one of the best young coaches in the world and you develop players that we can sell for money. And then we become a buying club, uh, sorry, a selling club until we can afford to be a buying club, just the way Liverpool did. But it's Turkey's voting for Christmas and it doesn't seem, I don't know, like... It, does it seem like the Cronkies care? I mean, they're investing their own money in this. Yeah. But they must care well, at a certain level, right? Well, you, you asked the question, why wouldn't you go for Ranić, given that he's available? I'll, I'll tell you why, you wouldn't, why they wouldn't go for Ranić, because they've never heard of him. Right? They, they're, 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 their knowledge of football below the absolute world superstar names like Mourinho um, or Pep, I'm talking about the Cronkies here, just yeah. isn't, isn't very deep. And therefore, I'm entirely with you. I would absolutely, no solution would appeal to me more than the club going to Ranić and saying, you've got a five-year timeline, you've got X amount of resource, uh, you can even choose your head coach, we'll hold you to account uh, in various ways, but you are the, the, the Caesar or the Napoleon when it comes to football vision at this football club. And if you haven't delivered in five years or it doesn't look like you're going to deliver on a kind of three-year, uh, you know, where we check in with you after three years, then, you know, we're, we're free to fire you. But we're going to give you quite wide latitude. I would love that to be the answer. But the Cronkies won't have heard of him. They'll assume it's some uh, fuzzy, newfangled thing to have a powerful uh, football director. They're mesmerised by anyone who knows anything about football. So Arteta, to them, is all you need because he clearly knows a lot about football. Um I think they do care in a financial sense and they don't want to see their asset get completely um, impoverished, which would happen if we either get relegated or even remain out of Europe season after season. But ultimate form of caring is actually getting into the details and, and, and liking the sport, because it's only when you do that um, that you understand that having a, a strong director, someone like Ranić, benefits you in the in the medium term and I just don't think they have when I mean that they care 
they care about Arsenal. I don't think they care about the sport itself. And it's only if you care about the sport and, and know about it that something like this would occur to you in the first place. And I, I think to them it's a completely alien concept. Matt, you work with a lot of um, American businesses. Have you, have you got any parallels that you could draw as to why the Cronkies wouldn't at least invest in people that could push them in a direction of a top sporting director that couldn't, like, there, have you got any sort of rationale for why the Cronkies seem to get it so wrong so often? I think they're always trying to treat a symptom rather than the illness. Um, so, you know, they're always trying to fix an immediate problem without going to the root cause. And I still believe that the root cause overall is the lack of an overarching uh, strategy for the business. <laughs> you know, I, I still don't know what, what, what our strategy is at Arsenal. We don't have any player profile. We don't, we spend a lot of money. Uh, it's, it, from, from top to bottom, it's, it's a complete shambles. And without a strategy, you're always just making poor decisions because without a strategy, you don't have any criteria with which to judge whether the tactics you're choosing are the right ones or not. And I think that that's the biggest problem that we have. Um, and I think it's just so much more appealing to them to think we're only like one fix away from having the show back on the road. But I think, like you said, Jan, and I think the whole leadership team probably needs, I mean, I think that you, you, you really need two, to replace two of them. <laughs> and you might need to replace three of them. Um, and deep down, we all know we'd be lucky if we replace one of them and we probably won't replace any of them <laughs> for, for a period of time. Yeah. And I think, and I think therein, therein lies the problem. And I think we're getting to the point, which is the sort of scary thing, where if you're Ralph Ranyet, you're like, Arsenal's a mess. I mean, it's a, it's a poison chalice. I mean, do I really want to go there? Because uh, they seem to... Uh, to take quality talent and make it shit. And I don't know, I've worked in an organisation which will go unnamed, which had incredibly brilliant, talented people, but it was a complete, it, the business itself was just a complete failure. And it was an organisation that, that whenever you put good people in there, they came out, that, that they, they just delivered the worst work of their lives. And then as soon as they left, they got back to what they were supposed to be doing. And it's because there's no systems or processes um, in place. Um, and, that, and that's where we're at now. So I think it needs a complete, a complete rebuild. And I think we, we were... We were kidding ourselves when we thought that Arteta could come in and do it on his own because we'd seen Arsene Wenger do it. But just like the, when you reference the George Graham era and when you reference the Arsene Wenger, those times have just changed because you used to be able to single-handedly turn around a football club because, you know, uh, comp getting a competitive advantage meant eating broccoli. <laughs> or or not eating a Mars bar. And it, those yeah. things used to make a real difference. Whereas now, you know, you look at 
I mean, um, you look at the the team, you know, and and who they own, the work they do with the Red Sox, Fenway behind Liverpool, and it's, I mean, it, it's it's re- it's a relentless, well oiled, highly organised structural machine. And even if Arteta was the best manager in the world, it's still unlikely we'd be able to compete with them because he'd be up against Stockman, who's an equally good manager, but with a far better system behind him. Yeah. So, you know, I'd like to think that, you know, bringing in a sporting director would change everything, but, but I'm beginning to come to the conclusion we just need to rip the whole thing up. Um, and, and, and maybe the owners are the problem. Because for a while I was like, you know, they spend a lot of money. <laughs> what, what are you supposed to do? You spend 100 million on Mustafi, Xhaka and Lucas Perez. I mean, what can you do? But... It's all about the checks and balances within the club as well, because I mean, people should be asking, are they the right people? The, the Obama Yang deal, in hindsight, looks—it's like just got Özil deal written all over it, all over again. And you know, I'm surprised that we didn't do more, more sort of due diligence on that, because uh, the Willian deal—it's like you get these big people off the off the off off off, off the Straight. salary, and then you replace yeah. them immediately. Um, but there's no doubt that Brexit has uh, not Brexit, but uh, that COVID has, has know, hurt us. If I was uh, if I was put, putting a case together to get somebody fired, I would sit one of the two execs in the club, not um, not Arteta. I would sit them down and I would say, okay, so William, 32 years old. What do we what do we know about William's position? Okay, he's a winger. What what do wingers rely on? Pace. Okay. 32-year-old, 29-year-olds start to decline from a physical perspective. Um, secondly, um, what did we know about William going into the negotiation? We knew that he only wanted to stay in London. Okay, what else did we know? Peter Cech is the sporting director at Chelsea, and he's offering him a two-year deal at 120 grand a week. How the fuck did you land on £250,000 a week with an extra year? How did that, how, like, how didn't someone just go, guys, 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 I, let's, we're talking about it. I'm just going to Google this. He earns 120 grand a week at the moment and no one's offering it. Like, it, it, th- and then you get to the David Luiz thing and we went through that. The performances, the Man City game, the agent, then a deal. And it's, it's like, um, I can't compute. Like, th- like, you know, we work in smaller industries with smaller budgets. But if someone comes in and they want five grand more than they're worth, you know it immediately. You're like, that person's a chance that the work's not good enough. They've only been in the game two years or they're too, you know, they're past it or whatever. I don't understand how um, Vinay and Edu can go to the Cronkies and justify any of these appalling deals that they've made. Even um, Thomas Partey, I know he's probably going to be great. 60 to 250. It's all bad. Right, yeah. and Arteta is going to say, "I don't give, a, I don't give a fuck. It doesn't matter to me. I might be out in eighteen months." But the club keeps on signing off these things, just as you can smell the the finish line with all of those bums that are going this summer. We just load up with another bunch. Yeah, I mean, that, but if, if you're if you're a head coach, your incentive is always to be short termist, mm-hmm. and I, I, you can't blame any head coach who wants experienced, uh, even aging players. If if it if it if it carries the promise of immediate. Uh, delivery because all they care about is the next six results this is why you have a sporting director you have someone who'll say look i'll take the flack for short to medium term pressure you concentrate on uh, coaching this team according to a long-term vision 
And that means that if you ask for a 29-year-old, we're going to say no. But we'll offer you, you know, we'll, we'll give you a menu of 22 to 25-year-old players in the same position, which is what we should have done for Arteta. As soon as the name William was mentioned, we should have come to him and said, first of all, you know, we spent £72 million on Pepe in the same position. But even if you don't like Pepe, here's a menu of wide players from Latin America and Europe uh, who are you know, reasonably expensive, but at least young and have some kind of resale value and developmental potential. Choose one of them. And instead, we just sort of caved because we were mesmerised by this guy who just won an FA Cup or was on his way to winning an FA Cup maybe at that stage. But this is precisely why you need a separation of powers in your executive. You need a technical director who's strong enough to say, don't worry about that stuff. You're not going to get sacked as head coach if we don't make the Champions League this season. Even if we finish 12th, you're not going to get sacked. We're working towards a long-term vision. I'll take the flak. You just implement this vision um, and we'll give you the players to do it. But um, picking up on Matt's point, the really fascinating question is, if you went to Ranjik, would he say yes? Because... I always found it quite a big story that Monchi, we failed to get Monchi. And it, yeah. the fact that we failed to get him, just, it was, it was, you know, people didn't dwell on that, but it really is remarkable that Arsenal, you, know, you get to live in London on a big salary. We were a, a very successful club, not a million years ago, but you know, just over a decade ago. It's quite an attractive proposition to come to Arsenal, turn it around and be the guy who builds us back up to glory. And he turned us down for Seville. And I, I know he's got a sentimental attachment to the Spanish league, but I, I worried about our status within the game when we failed to get Monchi to join us. And if he says no, there's a Campos say no and there's a Ranić say no. I, I'm kind of worried that they will now. And, and also, you know, just to add to that factor with the Monchi thing, he moved to London to live in a flat for 18 months so he could learn English, so he'd be better at negotiating. Like that, that's a guy that loves the city, wanted to embrace the culture, and he still said no. Yeah. Um, I, and I, I wanted to talk about another part of, um, of the Arteta now nightmare. And, I, I, you know, I, I think with a strong technical director, you could probably paddle bash this back in, like reduce the remit. And I, th- I, I actually think that the point about that you made there, Janan, about a sporting director takes the flack. We can't give you another deal because Ralph. Ralph said, "No way, sorry, David, you're you're off." Um, but the 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 other thing that sort of unravels for me is the the bums aren't going to care for your coaching. They're all too old, right? They're gone. They don't give a shit about what anything Arteta's got to say. You know that he's basically a peer, and you know you're 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 telling me, Mikel Arteta, you can teach me something when I've been managed by some of the greatest managers in history. No thanks. But the, the really worrying thing for me is the young players, right? Um, I don't think the Europa League pumps player value at all anymore um, because it's so bad. Like, it, you know, I, I could barely watch the Dundalk game the other day. It's like sometimes if you're good at sport and you play with somebody that's terrible at sport, you sort of drop your level because it's so bad. So you can't see anything in these young players. But... I just look at um, the William Saliba situation. We had him for three months. Three months, he came back from training early and then we decided not to loan him out just to keep him in the under-23s where he's been, what, sent off twice so far and not looked too good. Why is William Saliba not out on loan? 
Joe Willock is not up to it. I'm like, he really isn't up to it. Why isn't he out on loan? Why aren't we putting these players out in places where they can learn the game and at least have some sort of 15 million pound value? Like even Ainsley, biggest bid we got last summer was 15 million. Like, and now he's not playing. So his value isn't moving up. So it's like, not only are we screwing ourselves by wasting money on resources that don't really care about being there, we're also not creating some sort of revenue stream by giving young players a system to play in moving forward. Yeah, and we're, we're actively trashing the value of some of our young assets. If you think about Gwendouzi, how much would you say Gwendouzi was worth in the transfer market? Maybe and one year ago. 70 million they put on yeah. that French football yeah. uh, player rate. Yeah. Third highest I mean, let, rate. Let, let's, let's, be, let's be conservative and call it 40, right? He was, he was a teenage midfielder playing centre midfield in the richest league, probably the most physical league in Europe. Very few teenagers are doing that. His notional value was probably 40, 50 million pounds. Um, we've probably reduced that to essentially zero, first by trashing his reputation in public, yeah. kind of calling him a, uh, a waster and excluding him from the team for ambiguous reasons. And then by letting his contract uh, continue to run down while we do it. So I think if he comes back next summer, it's one year left. I'm, I'm open to being corrected, but I think if he comes back from Berlin summer 2021, he has a year left on his deal as a 20-year-old or 21-year-old kid. How much does he pick up on the transfer market then? Unless he absolutely kills it in Berlin um, and turns into, you know, another Kai Havertz or someone, we're not going to get a huge, uh, we're not going to get much value out of him. And he's just one of about six or seven examples where we're allowing value to deteriorate by making elementary errors. And it's why, as, as, as many grievances I have, grievances as I have with Arteta, Edu is meant to be our technical director. He's meant to have some kind of, oversight over these things and he's let them he's let these problems develop so i don't think we can change one i think we change at least two realistically all three of the the executive team yeah i think i mean i hate it because it's it becomes more and more apparent that arteta's man management is leaving a lot to be desired um because we all thought he was actually you know we hear great things from like some of the players like tierney and bellerin and Obama Yang and we love Mikhail and all of that. But for each one who's saying he's a good man manager, he's got even more who are saying who are basically saying he's terrible. Um, and that's a scary thing because and I think I was saying to Pete before, it's got a feeling of the like the Villas Boas, like the young coach who just can't control uh, and manage man manage. Um, and we sort of feared for it because we had these, you know, we, we've had hints at the fact when he was a player that he was a bit of a dick, <laughs> you know? What, Mateo? Uh, Mateo, you're talking about? No, no, Arteta. Oh, yeah, he was uh, a shit. Yeah, but he wasn't very, and, you know, he didn't get good reviews. He didn't get great reviews as a human being. Um, and I think modern leadership more and more and more is about empathy uh and i think you see you know the Mourinho style of sort of abrasive leadership doesn't mean you can't be strong but i think it's that mix of strength and empathy that seems to typically mark the modern football manager because you're dealing with so many very young very immature minds um and 
Mikel Arteta doesn't seem to have a lot of empathy. Uh, it, and and there's something strategy, going there's, there's something there's something going wrong with his man management. I I think it's um I, I'm not like the the so my Matteo intel is that he's a complete fucking shit and <laughs> this, they like despised like not not nice to the staff like not like just just an awful person to manage. But I think that the way it publicly sort of slipped out when we could have maybe controlled the narrative and then just been like, hey, what about this? And then they're like, yeah, and then sort of, you know, sell a, sell a Duff product. Um, I think it's more like the strategy around um, some of these things that's gone completely missing. Like Meza Ozil, we all know that we wanted to get him out of the club for years. To completely ostracize him from the squad when you don't have any creators, knowing the power that he has to make you look stupid all season was absurd. Um, the, the, the Mateo thing, making him train on his own and highlighting to Europe that he's a massive fucking issue felt absurd. It's like, it's not just that Arteta seems to have problems with certain players. Like his non-negotiables sounded interesting to start with, but when you realize that they weren't actually fair, I think that that's when it started to cause problems, right? Yeah. William, William going to Dubai, but um, yeah, I think it's it's not just that he has problems with players; it's that he doesn't think long term enough for how things are going to affect him two, three months down the line. And he really cut his nose off to spite his face with Meza Özil because now, if he brings him back, he's dead, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, and I think even if he brings back Gwenduzi, he's kind of dead because that was a big statement by Arteta. Yeah. I'm sidelining you. You do not belong to this culture. You don't respect it. All of which was probably true. But it means once you take that position, you can't uh, resile from it. I think it would be, I think a lot of these instances of Arteta losing a player or alienating a player on, individ, on an individual level are completely understandable. Like this Ozil one is understandable. I agree with you, actually. The Gwenduzi one kind of is, if you believe what you hear about him, is also understandable. The problem is when you get into six, seven, eight of them. You know, one or two is fine. And Mourinho does it whenever he joins a club. He'll willfully upset one player and cast them out just to set an example. Yeah. But when it's Ozil, um, Saliba, Pepe, Guendouzi and Socrates, and I'm probably leaving out one or two, it's just, it's too many players. They account for too big a section of the squad. So they become a, a problem when it comes to gossip and internal management. And it's too big a section of your resources. You know, you're committing actual wages to these people. Even when they're on loans, we're often part covering their wages and we're not getting any return out of it. So I think it would have been absolutely fine if had he done this once or twice. You cannot do it seven times. Not in not in your first year at the club. And yeah, um, you, your job is accumulation. Yeah, your job. I think. I think sorry, no, I think one of the things is, I mean, someone wrote a long list uh, in, in an interesting article I saw today. I can't remember which one of all the things that have happened in the past eighteen months at Arsenal. You know, from carjackings to Xhaka storming off and telling the fans to like it, it is unbelievable how much drama has happened at Arsenal in the last 18 months like like un, unlike anything you 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 could you could ever imagine and I think that's sort of the main problem and you know when you're in an organization um, you need you want to minimize distraction um, so that you could just focus on the job at hand. And we just can't get out from under ourselves 
and they're always distractions. Football is always about the seventh. The actual game itself is about seventh on the list of what needs to be done. Um, and, you know, we need to find a way to start eliminating those distractions and creating a balance of people who can make problems go away rather than keep on creating them. Uh, because, you know, it, it, it's, it's Mourinho-esque in this ability to create problems at the moment that seem to be happening. Um, so, you know, I, I feel like that's our best chance of success is just to try and... I think that yeah. the... Um, do you think that Arteta maybe has a little bit... Like, sometimes I, I, I always thought that the problem with Raul Signelli was that he took a Barcelona mindset um, to, a, to a, a club that wasn't built for big mistakes and all the you know, the stuff that went on. And I wonder whether Arteta kind of has this mindset, you know, like Man City, you cross Pep, you're out, and it doesn't matter if you earn 450 grand a week. This is Pep, this is City, we don't care. And this sort of, um, like, there's no negotiation in it. And there's no there's no thought to negotiate with him. Like Meza Ozil, sure he's a pain in the ass. I'm sure he's an absolute whopper behind the scenes. Um, but he's in the last year of his deal, if he has a good season this year, he gets another good deal. If he doesn't, he's, he's, he's cast away. Surely there was some, somebody at the club to say, uh, Mikel, you might need him. Keep him interested. Give him, like, set him targets or whatever. Put an arm around his shoulder. Like, he can do more than anyone in this team to unlock creativity if we get it right. We, I think we didn't lose in 10 games with Meza in the side. And then all of a sudden he was gone because he missed yeah. a few, whatever. You know, I'm sure he did something. You know, he missed the training sessions, didn't want to commit. But it just it just seems like, yeah, the wastage is getting out of control. And um, and now it's causing him problems because look at how many senior players that are earning lots of money that have big influence in the dressing room because they're like captains or World Cup winners. Imagine what that's like when you're losing week after week and they're all laughing at you in the in the dressing room. It must be horrible. Yeah, I, I think with, I mean, Pep is a, is a great example because... I think the reason Pep has that kind of authority is that he's got a track record. So he doesn't particularly need to try and um, force that intimidating aura. He already has it. Yeah. And he's more powerful and a bigger global figure than literally anyone at Man City as an individual player. He's a bigger name. If you're a new manager and this is your first job, you're always going to be straining a bit too hard to intimidate and to establish your authority. It's just natural. Whether you're taking over a business for the first time or whether you're taking over a football club for the first time, you're just going to force it a bit too much. And that's why I thought we should have let him run another club, make his mistakes there, hone his man management and come over to, to us later. The other thing about Pep that I'm surprised he hasn't learned is that even Pep, who's a you know, gigantic global figure, along with Mourinho, the biggest managerial name of the past 10 years, 10, 15 years, even Pep, has superiors at Man City. I think at least two of them, what, Soriano and Bagiristan, yeah. and maybe as a third. So he is kept, you know, he's still just a head coach. You know, it's, it's an amazing thing that Guardiola is still essentially just a guy who runs the team, has an input into transfers, but not always a completely decisive input. Even he has to be contained and checked and balanced by other people. And I'm, I'm surprised that when Arteta wasn't, when, when Arteta was offered the management gig in August, September, whenever it was, he didn't push back and say, look, I've been at a proper club for a few years that knows how to run itself. 
they've got the most celebrated manager in the world and they don't even let him be a manager. Yeah. This is a bad idea. Go and go and find people above me who are who are competent and powerful. I'm surprised he didn't learn that from his from his time at City. I think no no one ever turns down a promotion. <laughs> yeah. No, but I, I, I suspect I, I think he's quite uh I suspect he went for it. I suspect he saw the weakness yeah. in the system and he went for it. Yeah. I think yeah. um yeah, I, I I think it's gonna be interesting to see how he um how how he moves forward and uh, like my, my big what my big worry and wonder is he's does seem a bit of an ego. Who who is he talking to? Who are his who are his sort of go-tos? Like, is is he, you know, like, I think the part of great leadership is at some point you're like, you actually can't do this all yourself. You need advice. Like, uh, you know, the one of the biggest gifts that I have in business is having, you know, people that are way better than me to help me navigate the mess. And I've been doing it for a lot longer than Arteta has. He's little, you know, he's been in the game four years. In, in the business world, he'd only be like 24, 25 um, from a... Uh, like I mean, a, a mental I mean, he, he looks isolated doesn't he I yeah mean, like does he speak to anybody does anybody advise him or help him through it because his backroom team steve steve round the 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 children from atleti and juve it's embarrassing you know like so you picked the manager that went to man united and down david moyes it's like it feels like he just surrounded himself with yes men when actually the club should have said, we'll give you two coaches and we're going to build a staff around you that softens your your rough edges because you've got them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, the head coach should be a guy who slides in for three years and slides back out again. And most of the people around them should be permanent club appointments, I think. But I did worry. I mean, to your point about the, the Spanish kids with the iPads, I did worry a little bit in the summer when they, when they were appointed to the coaching staff because what he needed was a, a guy in his 60s who was kind of grizzled and rough around the edges and, and just a little bit streetwise. And he yeah. hasn't got that. Yeah. No. And, um, and again, it's like giving him too much control to pick his backroom staff. How can he pick a backroom staff? He doesn't know. Put people around him. Oh, I, I, I mean, you, you should have a technical director that can do that. So, um, guys, we're, we're, uh, it's been a great pod, um, but I want to... Um, I don't want to take too much of your time. Um, what do you think Arteta is going to do over the next five games? How does he, what, what's your prediction for how he claws his way out? Janet? We're definitely not going to continue losing every single game. So I, I think because things are so bad now, he only needs a slight pickup in results. And I literally mean just the occasional draw for it to look like uh, an improving trend going into the new year. So I presume he'll pick up uh, at least one win in the next five and a, and a couple of draws. And that will be relatively, I mean, it's amazing that this is how, how low the standard is, but that will count as an improvement on, on what we've seen for six weeks. So he enters the new year on, on something of a, of a bounce. Um, I think he's only, if he loses the next two, I think he'll go. Um, but I think he'll pluck out what, you know, at least a draw somewhere in there. Matt, how do you think he claws his way out? What's the what's the future for Mikel Arteta? Well, um, yeah, I mean, I agree with a lot of what Janin said. I think uh, I think that he will he'll get something. I think I think we could beat Southampton tomorrow night, uh, Wednesday night, and then and then the trajectory of the season 
will change somewhat. Um, I don't think he's lost the players. I think um, he's just going to have to shuffle the pack a little bit. But I think what he needs to do is start crafting, and maybe it's <laughs> maybe I've spent too long working in marketing, but he really needs to start crafting his narrative and his vision of what he wants to achieve at Arsenal because the goodwill that he generated from last season is now gone. So he doesn't have that to lean back on. Uh, and if I was him, I would be making noises about, uh, you know, uh, betting in a couple of the youth, of the younger players, uh, giving trying to give Smith Rowe some minutes, even if it's just 10 minutes at the end of games, just to create a sense of positivity around, uh, you know, the future. I think that he should be making uh, a bit of noise about how his two, his only two real signings for big money, you know, Gabriel and Partey are exactly what we need in the profile. And, you know, we want to be bringing those types of players in and we're going to bring more of them in the summer when we get rid of people out of contract. Because, you know, if, if we had a Gabriel and Partey and we had a couple more of them, you know, it won't be long before we can be a much, much better team. We can get rid of some of the dead wood. So we need to start looking forward, painting a better vision. He needs to start reminding people of his successes, like those two signings. I think they feel like they feel like successful signings from what we've seen of them. Um, and then he just needs to cling on, keep his head down and survive. Um, because it's going it, to... Christmas is always a brutal time, but it's also... As, I mean, I don't want to sound too positive, but, you know, you win four on the bounce at Christmas and you're back up into fifth place come beginning in January. So it's a crazy time. And if we can put a run together, which seems very, very unlikely now, but, you know, not beyond the realms of possibility, um, things can change quickly. And look, we seem better suited to be a cup team. So, you know, Europa, FA Europa, Cup. The Unai Emery Uni security blanket, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> Who knows what could happen, you know? But, I mean, if he won the Europa this season and we finished 14th, but, you know, we steadied the ship, or we, or we finished 8th and got Europa, I mean, that would be a great season right now, wouldn't it? <laughs> so sad, isn't it? 8th now <laughs> looks like a good season and a cup run. Um, yeah, I, I, th I, th I think he's going to claw. I think, he, I think we might win tomorrow night, and I think we might put in a few results, maybe even turn over Chelsea, uh, uh, like in a shocking result when there's no pressure on. Um, but I think he's. I think his narrative has got to be. There's a lot of change that's going to happen in the summer, and we've had a rethink. That has to be the narrative, and we're gonna yeah. we're gonna move things around. So, fingers crossed. Because I don't know about you guys, I can't stand the misery. It's so sad waking up on a Monday morning. Um, but um, Janan, thank you for coming back on for your second podcast. It's been a pleasure. Um, oh, thanks for having me. Um, I look forward to it's seeing you in in Miami. Um, yeah, drink. Absolutely. Um, in the in the hot weather and um, matt i'm sorry you're in new york in the freezing cold and the covid um but we don't have covid in in miami so it's uh it's, it's actually I've a lot and um, thanks a lot guys if you're listening um give us a five star rating and um uh follow the grove and you can find uh janan i don't even think you can find him on twitter anymore find him on the and his financial times column you can find matt at his design agency whatever um <laughs> This is Peacock. I love it!
It's streaming your favorite shows, movies, live sports, breaking news, exclusive originals. It's The Office. That's what she said. Chrisley knows best. It's going to be Todd's Way or the Highway. And Peacock original shows like Punky Brewster. Holy mackinoli. So whether you're in the mood for every live WWE pay-per-view or every episode of Law & Order SVU, Peacock's got you covered. Peacock. Watch for free. Upgrade for more. Stream now at PeacockTV.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.